This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Yggdrasil Suppose you are a generally good-hearted barbarian in the worlds of Dungeons and Dragons. You do the right thing, for the most part. You have your vices, drinking, debauchery, gambling, fighting, whatever. And for you, the most important thing is your personal glory. You don't care about king and country. You are in it for you. You are in it so that scalds will someday sing tales of your great deeds. And someday, you will die on the battlefield. When you die, where do you go? Where is your Valhalla, your heaven, your Stovokor? Back in 1978, when Gary Gygax published his first treatise on the other worlds of D&D, The Plains of Existence, he mentioned the plains of the glad time of chaotic good neutrals. These plains were situated between Olympus, the plains of chaos and goodness, and Limbo, the plane of chaos and neutrality. And there were three in total, Asgard, Valhalla, and Vanaheim. And if you're detecting a Norse sort of vibe from all of these names, congratulations. You have the wisdom of Mimir. Gladsheim, like all of the planes, gradually evolved. It eventually became known by the name of its first layer, Isgard, which is just another spelling of Asgard. What's a layer, you might ask? Well, it turns out that the outer planes in D&D are a little more complicated than we admitted when we discussed the cosmos last week. How is that even possible? The thing is, the planes come in layers, like ogres, onions, and parfaits. A plane is not just one generally infinite alternate reality. It is several generally infinite alternate realities stacked on top of one another. The first layer is relatively easy to get to, and you can access them through magic, portals, the astral plane, or by walking, if you know the right way. The other layers can generally only be accessed from the first layer. So the realms of Gladsheim became the layer of the heroic domains of Isgard. The first layer, Isgard, was a domain of wild, untamed wilderness and clashing natural forces. Wind, waves, storm, sky, mighty rivers, and jagged mountains separated by storm-tossed seas. A wild place. It was also an eternal battlefield, where souls would clash in glorious conflict and then return from the dead every night to drink and revel. Eventually, this evolved into great island realms floating through an endless sky. For some reason. In the worlds that had them, the Norse gods mostly lived here. In the Forgotten Realms, Frey, Saloon, and Soma lived here. In Greyhawk, Elidamara lived here. Each lived in their own little region called a Divine Realm. The second layer, Muspelheim, was filled with lava and fire and jagged rock and obsidian, and it was home to Surtur, the god of fire giants. The third layer, Nedeveller was a constantly changing subterranean labyrinth 
and was the realm of certain wild and magically active dwarves. It also contained the land of Zvartolfheim, the land of dark elves who had turned against their evil queen Lolth. And if you notice that Zvartolfheim sounds a bit like swarthy elf home, yeah, you can work out the derivation for yourself. See, this whole entire list is basically a grab bag of concepts and other worlds from Norse mythology. And that's why this all sounds like overly long exposition for Marvel's next Thor movie. But arguably, the most interesting feature in all of Isgard or Asgard or the heroic domains or Gladsheim or whatever you want to call them, arguably, the most interesting feature, particularly if you were a planar traveler, was nothing more than a big tree. Yggdrasil. The thing is, planar travel was kind of tricky. There were all sorts of rules about how you could get from point A to point B once those points were in completely different realities. Portals, transitive planes, spells, magic paths, there were all sorts of options, but they each had their own limitations. Anything that let you shortcut all the rules was super valuable in the world of Planescape. And Planescape had several special features that broke the rules. Features that spread between multiple planes. You had the rivers Styx and Oceanus that each wound courses through multiple realities. You had the magical infinite staircase that allowed you to climb from plane to plane if you were willing to hoof it. And you had the massive Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil, the world ash, was a magical tree that grew up through all three layers of Isgard. But that wasn't all. Its roots spread across the plains. You could follow the roots into the lower plains like Hades and the Abyss and Pandemonium. And its branches grew into various upper plains like Elysium and the Seven Heavens and Bitopia. And many of its roots and branches spread out into the prime material world as well. The natural world where we all live. But you might call all of this ridiculous. After all, You've seen Thor and Thor the Dark World. You know that the worlds aren't linked together by some silly little tree. They are connected by a much more sensible bridge made of magic rainbows generated by a room made out of spinning CGI and protected by that guy from the wire. But maybe, just maybe, you do remember Thor briefly mentioning something about a tree and the Nine Realms of Yggdrasil. Much of what we know about Old Norse mythology, particularly the cosmology of Norse mythology, is derived from two works, the Edda and the other different Edda. And just to keep things confusing, there's a lot of arguments about what the word Edda even means. And one of the books is only called the Edda because it didn't have a title of its own. Confused? Of course you are. See, most Norse mythology wasn't written down. It was kept in oral accounts. So we have to rely on compilations of these stories that came later on, and on the scholars who compiled them. In the 13th century, an Icelandic scholar and politician named Snorri Sturluson published a book that compiled a bunch of old, old Norse poems, epics, basically accounts of the mythology and offered a bunch of analysis and commentary on them. 
but his compilation was incomplete, and in many cases, scholars believe that he was attempting to reconcile Old Norse mythology with what was, at the time, modern Christianity. And some of his interpretations and translations and general worldviews were believed to be a little off. And most of the stuff he quoted, he quoted only partially. This book became known as the Prose Edda, or Snorra's Edda. The thing was, between 800 and 1400 CE, Christianity had started to take hold across Europe. And in 1000 CE, it became the official religion in Iceland. While the Germanic and Icelandic people had been strong in holding on to their quote-unquote heathen lore, it was dying out due to a lack of good written accounts. Sturlson's book was sort of an attempt to keep the old faith alive and to modernize it. The thing was, the existence of this book proved that there must be some written accounts of Norse mythology somewhere. Sturlson had to be referencing something. He was quoting something. And other copies of Norse poems and epics had also surfaced, somewhat piecemeal though they were. People theorized that there must be another Edda. An Edda that isn't just commentary and partial writings. An elder Edda. And in the 16th century it turned up. A manuscript called the Codex Regius, the Book of the King came into the possession of an Icelandic bishop named Brynjolfur Zvainsson. It was a book of poems and epics. It was a compilation of Norse and Germanic mythology. Scholars compiled all the works in the Codex with the other poems they had discovered into one huge master compilation of mythology. And this untitled work was given the name the Poetic Edda as a reference and counterpoint to Sturlson's Edda. So what does it say? Well, it says a lot. And Norse mythology is wildly interesting and filled with all sorts of great stories. It'd take us hours to share all the cool stuff that we want to. But it does tell us all about Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil is a mighty ash tree that grows in Asgard, the realm of the Aesir, the realm of the gods. Well, actually it crowns in Asgard because the trunk grows up through the middle realm, Midgard, which we call Earth, or, you know, that place where we keep all our stuff. And branches reach out to Elfheim, the home of the elves, and Muspelheim, the land of the fire giants, and its roots touch Vanaheim, the realm of the other tribe of gods called the Vanir. They also touch Jotunheim, the realm of the frost giants, Niflheim, the realm of mist and darkness, Hel, the realm of the dead, and Svartalfheim, the land of the dwarves. Speaking of Yggdrasil, there's an interesting story about how it got its name, and it has to do with the fact that Odin was a voracious seeker of knowledge and would give his own eye to get more. Seriously, he did that. That's why Odin only has one eye. Yggdrasil, in Old Norse, means the gibbet of Ig. What's a gibbet? You know the thing you draw when you play the game of hangman that the little stick man hangs from? That's a gibbet. It's the thing you hang a person from by a noose to kill them. It's also called the gallows. And Ig was one of Odin's many names. He had a lot of disguises. 
There were these three ladies who lived near the base of Yggdrasil. They were called the Norns, and they could influence destiny by carving magical letters into the tree. Odin watched them, with his one eye, all the time. He was tremendously jealous. He wanted to know the power of their magical runes. But they would only give the power to someone who proved worthy. And since he'd already carved out his eye for knowledge, Odin was going to have to do something pretty spectacular. So he stabbed himself with a spear and hung himself from Yggdrasil for nine days. And you thought student loans were a rough price to pay for knowledge. Before this whole thing, Yggdrasil was called the World Ash because it was an ash tree that supported the cosmos. But you might be wondering, why an ash tree? I mean, it could be any kind of tree, right? And ash isn't particularly special. It's just another flowering tree that looks kind of like an elm or a hickory or a walnut tree. We're not even sure we could tell the difference. But Yggdrasil was an ash tree. And weirdly enough, it wasn't the first time that an ash tree was the most important thing ever in Norse mythology. For example, Odin carved the first human from an ash tree branch as well. Not a branch from the world tree. He found an ash branch from any old ash laying around and made a person out of it. Also, the prophecy about the end of the world, Ragnarok, explains that two humans will survive the end of the world by being sheltered under an ash tree. And ash trees actually get a lot of mention in Germanic and European mythology, even Greek mythology. So what's so great about ash trees? In the end, it all has to do with sugar. And mead, at least that's what some scholars think. See, ash trees exude a sugary substance which the ancient Greeks call manna, or meli. The ancient Greeks believed that it precipitated out of the atmosphere along with another substance called honeydew. Bees would eat manna and make honey. But while the Greeks and Romans relied on beekeeping, the Norse and Germanic peoples harvested manna directly from ash trees as well as from bees. In point of fact, Snorra's Edda quotes the poetic Edda about the origin of honey and its connection to mead, because fermented honey is how you make mead. According to the Edda, one root of Yggdrasil drinks from the spring of Mimir, which incidentally gives mead and not water. A single drink from Mimir, the spring of knowledge, grants wisdom and understanding. So much wisdom and understanding that a certain god was willing to cut his own eye out for a drink. And you thought we weren't going to discuss that missing eye, didn't you? Anyway, Yggdrasil drinks mead from the spring of Mimir and sloughs off honey, which falls like rain from the heavens. There, flowers and trees collect it, and then either you harvest it from ash trees, or you wait for bees to eat it and poop it out. Either way, you get honey, which you can convert to mead. Because of its association with the strength of Yggdrasil and the wisdom of Mimir, honey was traditionally the first food given to infants. And this tradition was actually very widespread. In Germany, Scandinavia, Greece, and even in the Scottish Highlands, you can find traditions about weaning babies on honey. 
But how can you use this all in your game? First of all, check out Norse mythology. It's pretty cool. And it's filled with stories about world-devouring giant serpents and wolves that bite off God's hands. And there is even a story about how the first gods were born because a giant's leg hairs started having sex. We kid you not. But Yggdrasil serves another purpose in D&D. It serves to provide fantastic connections between the different realms of the cosmos. It's easy enough when you create your own cosmos to rely on teleport spells and magical portals to get from interdimensional place to place. But that's also boring. The ancient people did it by sailing on rivers between the realms of reality, or climbing rainbows, or wandering along the branches of magical super trees that poop honey from ancient springs of pure knowledge. How are your worlds connected? This has been the GM Word of the Week. It was written by the Angry GM and recorded and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can find more at theangrygm.com and madadventurers.com.